If you're someone who loves the outdoors, you have almost certainly been hunted by this monster. It terrorizes hikes, destroys camping trips, makes frolicking in the grass an existential threat. It's not a large monster. On average, it's only about the size of an apple seed, sometimes as small as a poppy seed. But its small size only makes it more terrifying. It can't jump or fly, but this monster is patient. It simply climbs to the end of a blade of grass and extends its arms, waiting. It's a position called questing. The monster's quest? To climb onto you, up your body, nestle into a crevice, and suck your blood. In exchange, it will fill you with any number of potentially terrible diseases. It's ticks. We're talking about ticks. And I don't know if there is a living creature that I can have less fondness for. I, I truly hate them. But you also know what they say about keeping your enemies close. My name is Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura. And today, it's not a celebration because we're talking about ticks. But we are going to go to Statesboro, Georgia, to the U.S. National Tick Collection. That's right, the U.S. has a national tick collection. To learn just how much these little monstrosities can teach us. I liked everything that was small. And I was always crawling around looking at small stuff. This is Lorenza Beatti. She's the curator of the U.S. National Tick Collection. She's also a biology professor at Georgia Southern University. Lorenza grew up in Sweden and as a kid was in love with all of the smallest creatures. The little bugs, the rodents. As she grew older, though, her focus shifted a little. I got distracted. I studied medicine. I became an MD. But while I was studying medicine, I was also studying parasitology. Parasitology is the scientific discipline concerned with the study of parasites and parasitic diseases. Lorenza moved to France in the early 90s to further her education. And while working on her PhD, she came across some teachers who awoke that childhood fascination. And they gave her a sort of permission to look at the world with wonder again. The passion of some of those teachers was such that it just changed completely the trajectory of my life. And I went back to looking at small things. Lorenza pivoted, decided to do her doctoral thesis on ticks and tick-borne diseases. And after she finished school, she got a job in Atlanta, working at the CDC, doing research on ticks and their associated pathogens. The new job put her close to the U.S. National Tick Collection, which is housed at Georgia Southern. About twice a year, Lorenza made the three-hour drive from Atlanta to Statesboro to work with the collection. The ticks there and the diseases they carried helped her with some of her work at the CDC. Lorenza started to develop a rapport with the staff. And when the position of assistant curator first became available, I applied and I got the job because 
Well, we had been working together for so many years. They knew me. They knew what I could do. Eventually, she took over the top spot. Lorenza says the collection in Statesboro is the largest permanently curated tick collection in the world, meaning there are institutions with more ticks, but the one in Georgia is the biggest one that is cataloged and constantly updated. It's also a pretty old collection. Its origin story dates back to the early 1900s, specifically during a period when a lot of people in Montana and Idaho started getting sick with a disease called black measles. So 80% of the people that got sick in the Bitterroot Valley in Montana then died. So that was uh, quite uh, impressive. The federal public health system at that time sent a team to study the problem and they discovered that actually the disease was uh, carried by, by ticks. The, um, Rickettsia rickettsii, the pathogen, is transmitted by uh, Dermacentor andersoni there. And um, that started it all because people realized that ticks were actually transmitting pathogens to people. We didn't know that before. Scientists began collecting ticks, and they set up a repository at the Rocky Mountain Laboratories in Montana to help understand them better. The collection kept growing. At some point, merged with the collection of Dr. Hoekstrahl, who was the big taxonomist of the last century in ticks, became so big that it uh, was donated to the Smithsonian. It remained there until 1990, when it moved down here. Specifically, here is the basement of the physics building on Georgia Southern's university campus. And down there, millions of ticks sit in vials of ethanol in dozens of file cabinets. Like the diseases they carry, these tiny animals have an outsized effect on their environment. The tick collection, Lorenza says, is actually pretty heavy, like physically heavy. We needed to make sure that we were not on a flimsy floor somewhere. We had to be in a basement with a lot of cement holding it up. So we wanted it to be safe. So we have four rooms. We have the archives with all the papers, the, the documents. We have the room with all the samples. And then we have microscopy rooms and camera rooms. As with any collection, some of the samples at the Institute are more famous than others. Over the years, scientists have collected and sent in ticks from all over, including some that were in proximity to U.S. presidents, if only to study what kind of pathogens could make their way into the White House. We have some ticks that were collected during the hunting um, trips of Teddy Roosevelt, for instance. Ticks from the dog of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Presidential dog had ticks. But of course, these tiny creatures are not collected as markers of history. The purpose of the collection is, among other things, documenting the diversity of ticks, their range, and the changing nature of the diseases they carry, where they can live and thrive. Because, well, the, the, the planet is in continuous change, right? Keeps modifying. We need to have records of which species were where, when, in which kind of an environment, and so on and so forth. In the case of ticks, it's also important because ticks transmit diseases. They transmit pathogens that cause diseases. 
And so it's also important to document all that. In the States, you have, for instance, Povassan virus, newly discovered heartland virus, bourbon virus. You have um, bacteria like, well, the famous Lyme disease agent, Borrelia burgdorferi. You have Rocky Mountain spotted fever. It's also bacterial. The pandemic, of course, provided a stark example of the high stakes of understanding diseases and how they spread. COVID is one of those diseases called emerging diseases, right? They appeared almost from nowhere. There are a lot of emerging diseases around the planet. Now, very often the bridge between diseases of animals or pathogens in animals and humans are arthropod vectors such as yeah, mosquitoes, uh, ticks, lice, fleas, sand flies, it doesn't matter. It's becoming clear that arthropod vectors are really, really important in whatever is changing around the planet. We have, you know, climate change that is changing the distribution of the ticks because ticks that were only found in the southeast of the U.S. just 20 years ago or 30 years ago are now found in Connecticut. It's about being prepared. Things are changing. For Lorenza, one thing has remained constant. Her passion. It hasn't diminished even after 20 years of traveling the world and cataloging its most monstrous, problematic little pests. I finally managed to combine the love I have for field work and being outside and somehow linking it to the med- medical profession. If you want to take a tour of the National Tick Collection, and who wouldn't? Uh, I mean, I think I would, actually. They're all dead. It sounds fascinating. We will put a link on the website in the episode description. Lorenza says she will even customize your tour, show you all the best ticks. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. This episode was produced by Baudelaire. The production team includes... Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. If you're looking for a trip full of the extraordinary and unexpected, then you need to get off the beaten path and head to Missouri. The City Museum in St. Louis has got to be one of the coolest places that I have ever been. But it's just one of many wonders found in Missouri. You can play a chess game at the World Chess Hall of Fame, also home to the world's largest chess piece. You can tour a reimagined ghost town brought back to life as outdoor art at Red Oak 2 in Carthage, or go on a crazy underwater adventure at Bonterre Mine, one of the world's largest man-made caverns and freshwater scuba diving resorts, or throw back craft beers 50 feet underground at O'Malley's Pub in Weston. Missouri is a place full of surprise and delight. 
Don't miss out on Missouri, because whether it is weird, wondrous, or the world's largest, there is an M.O. for every traveler in Missouri. Find yours at visitmo.com. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. 